0: well good morning Good morning. it is an honor and a privilege to get to open the word of God this morning with you so I got to apologize to Jennifer I was up here I was getting it during the acapella moment not reading the words and saying out really wrong one of the words just right in front of her she never missed a beat that that happened to me uh, this week at a different time, too. I was, so, my favorite Christian artist, his name's Matt Boswell. This is way off point, but we dove in, so this is where we're at. Um, I was at this pastor's conference. It was in this little room, and I randomly got put at a table, and I'm like, he's leading worship, and I'm like, this far from him. And dude, wanted to do everything a cappello. And I got the wrong words wrong so many times. And like, he just, it was so wrong that he couldn't even like keep like in what he was doing. So Jennifer, you, you did way better than, uh, Matt Boswell with my mess up. So there you go. All right. Since we got way off, let's pray. (laughs) God, I pray that you would add blessing to the reading of your word today, that you would speak to our hearts. God, and I pray that that repentance needs to be made, that you would deal with our hearts gently and you would restore us. God, where icebergs need to be melted, I pray that you would do that too. Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you today, please let them hear your clear gospel and turn and believe in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series, Living for What Lasts. The goal was to be done by, like, November, but based on this track, 2024, here we come. (laughs) Um, But so we know we're living for what lasts, and we know the things that last are the things that we contribute to the kingdom of God because the only thing that will last in the end is God and God's kingdom. And we've been called out by God into this new kingdom, and this new kingdom is... Different. It's totally countercultural. It has its own set of rules and ethics. And this is the kingdom we've been called to live in. This morning, our text is addressing Christian women and is dealing with difficult topics like submission and appearance. And I think when you hear out, the heart of God on the issue, you're going to find that it is both beautiful and empowering. And you might be here this morning struggling with the idea of what is biblical beauty, or what is the missioner. Maybe you're like, I can't believe I finally drug him to church on this day instead of letting him go deer hunting. <laughs> I, I know it's a sensitive topic, but just bear with me, and let's let's see what. In context what it looks like. Because I feel like a lot of us have had a lot of these conversations out of context. So the beauty in submission is not submission to your husband for submission's sake. The beauty in submission is you modeling the life of Christ, submitting to the expressed will of God for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus submitted to the will of God by giving up his life for us for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So let's let's look at our truth statement for the day. A life lived in God's design is beautiful, powerful, and reveals who is the king of your heart. A life lived in God's design is beautiful, powerful, and reveals who is king of your heart. So what do we do with this? Submit yourself to God in aspirations, appearance, and actions. We're to submit in aspirations, appearance, and actions. So let's look at our text, and y'all judge and see if those things are drawn from it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So, verse 1 through three, we're going to see a beautiful submission. So, context. This passage is not written in a vacuum. Uh, Peter just addressed how we as Christians are to live under government. It addressed how Christians who find themselves in slavery are to live and who relate to their master based on Christ as their example. Now our text says likewise it is connecting that thought these thoughts are not disconnected Christian women Christian women should relate to their husbands and to the world by modeling Christ as their example That's that's the likewise it's connecting you to the end of chapter 2 Your ladies you're to model Christ This is important because Peter here, he's not giving us laws. Some people want to look at this text and make laws out of it. What Peter's doing here is he's, he's giving us ethics and principles that we can attempt to live our lives by. We are, we are to live gospel-driven lives. And when you live in this gospel ethic or this gospel-driven life, that life will be beautiful and Verse four, I love verse four. Not, there's very few things he, God calls precious in his sight. But when a woman lives this life in the eyes of God, it is precious in his sight. And ladies, what you're gonna find if you choose to live this way, you're going to find beauty that is powerful and a beauty that is full of dignity women have real power. Culture wants to twist that power. You see what feminine power looks like on television. It's cheap, it's weak, and it's undignified. Real power looks like modeling Christ in the role He has given you. And when, when you do this, the Holy Spirit who lives in you will work through you and change the people around you. He will transform those who are in your circle. So, as we concluded chapter 2, looking at the work of Jesus in submission to the Father, now we likewise, likewise we are to, to model and consider Jesus in every aspect of our life. So, look at your text again, verse 1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Peter here, he's addressing women. It's assumed Christian women. And we need to take a second and define what a woman is because we find ourselves in this weird cultural moment. You can go check it out on the Daily Wire. They they have something about what a woman is. But as far as we're concerned, what a woman is is first a theological question to be answered. Because if it's anything else, if you remove God from it, then humanity, male, female, it doesn't matter. There's no purpose. There's no, there's no purpose when you remove the cause. So Genesis 1:27 tells us where we're from. It says that God created male and female goes on to say, God cre- created male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Repetition in the Bible, it's like exclamation marks. Repetition in the Bible is, just pretend God went ahead and put a highlighter on it for you. So God, he creates us male and female. God, because he's the one who creates God is the one who gets to define, and God defines role and function of both of the sexes. Not only after that, God created male and female, he gave them their direction. He gives them their purpose. And he said concerning this creation of male and female on the sixth day, it was very good. Do you know in the six days of creation, there is only one time he declares the creation very good? when he creates man and woman. Man, humanity, is the crown jewel of God's creating work. God gives the Christian woman here, based on that defined function and that defined role, a command, and it's a command to submit to their own husband. Now, some would like to use this passage as the grounds to call all women to submit to all men. That is a twisting and gross abuse of this command. The only person, the only man that a woman is to submit herself to is her husband. So I think a good question would be, What are the things wives, before we jump in, what they are to do, what are the things that wives are not to submit to their husbands in? It's easy because we've talked about it so far with slaves and masters and Christians and government. It's the same principle. Uh, Wives are not to submit to their husband in the case of sin, dishonesty, or something that feels unethical that he's asking you to do. You you should not submit when it comes. Let's say he's not a believer in Jesus. You don't have to submit to that. You get to defend the truthfulness of the Scriptures. Men, you should never use the submission card in an argument. I just want you to know, if you're using the submission card in, in an argument or to get your wife to do something that is a sign of weak leadership. Someone who has to stand up and say, I'm the leader, is not the leader. Like, just just so you know, if you've got to claim your leadership, you're not the leader. Using the submission card in an argument is more like spiritual manipulation in an attempt to be domineering. And if you've done this, if you've done this, I believe you need to ask your wife for forgiveness. So here's the truth about leadership, man. If you believe you are leading someone, and you look back, and they're not, nobody's following you, you're not leading anyone anywhere, you're just going for a walk. A leader must make sure they are taking the ones that are supposed to be following them. They should be leading them in a way that can be followed. And they should be going in a direction worthy of being followed. Also, men, we will never understand what God is calling women to to give up. I know in my marriage, I've made bad financial decisions that have hurt my family in the long run. My wife, on multiple occasions, um, she, she's the Proverbs 31 woman who is the entrepreneur. On multiple occasions, like that, that woman, she goes and she finds land deals, or she's found, found business opportunities to invest in. And I was scared. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the whatever. I made up all these excuses. She submitted, but now on the backside of that, I can look back and see how these things have worked themselves out, and we missed out on hundreds of thousands of dollars because of my weak leadership in those areas. Like, still she submitted and allowed me to lead. Women, you are spiritually... And intellectually equals men should not talk down you should not talk down to your wife don't use any text in the Bible as spiritual manipulation or abuse of your leadership instead understand your wife if if you know that whatever the decision is is hard for her to agree with give her space Let her make the decision. The decision to submit is not between you and her. Her decision to submit is between her and God. Submission is a spiritual act of service unto God, not unto you. And it is not for you to force. I'm going to talk at length next week about men as far as role and how we're to care for our wives as Christ cares for the church in such a way that you would be willing to bleed for her, that you would sacrifice yourself for her, that you would sacrifice your desires for her, that when she sins against you, you would forgive her as Christ forgives you, throwing that sin into the sea of forgetfulness, that you would be washing her daily in the word, That's that's Ephesians 5. And when you're constantly living this way, it will be a lot easier for her to submit to your leadership. But understand, that's that's a spiritual issue between her and God. All you can be responsible for is living the way you've been called. Ladies, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. That is not submission. Submission. That is cultish. We don't agree on everything. Submission doesn't mean agreeing with every decision and not expressing your displeasure with the decision. You get to do that. You get to to tell your opposition, and you get to do it even passionately. That is not a lack of submission. Submission for you is yielding the strength you have and allowing your husband to lead. Let me say that again. Submission for you is yielding the strength you have and allowing your husband to lead. Your submission is voluntary. It's a voluntary submission, and it's an expression of your ultimate submission to God the Father. and i get that this isn't easy i don't i don't understand what it means for you i don't like i said i don't understand what it means that you're you have to give up but submission for you might look like having to say in your heart god i don't trust him with this but god i trust you in your faithfulness towards my obedience to you i submit jesus the only reason he was able to do the things that he did in our previous passage, it tells us why, because he trusted in him who judges justly. I understand as a husband, I've created situations that it would make that would make it hard for my wife to follow me. I get it. I'm sure, guys, y'all see it in yourselves, right? I heard Mark Dever, he's a preacher that I like to listen to. If you don't listen to Mark Dever, that's a name that you can go look up. But Mark Dever was talking about why it's beneficial to a church, for a church to to find an unseasoned, younger pastor. And I think this, this principle applies to wives giving your husband space to learn how to lead. He says, get them while they're cubs, Yeah, they'll chew on the furniture. They're going to mess things up in the house. But in a few years, that cub will turn into a lion. Ladies, you want your husbands to be ferocious. You want your husbands to be lions for you spiritually. If you want that, that means you have to give him a chance, you have to give him space to lead. You have to, like that cub, you have to give him a chance to mess some stuff up because he will. But by you trusting and submitting to God, you're going to give your husband the space he needs to grow into the godly man, into the man of God you need him to be for you and your family. By giving him that space to learn how to lead, you're going to allow him to to grow into that godly man, that man of God that our church needs him to be. Also, this is just an aside, but it applies. Don't, men, don't come up to the church inserting or accepting leadership roles if your house is not in order. Ladies, if you know you're not submitting to your husband behind closed doors, don't accept any leadership roles here because the business of the church, the business of advancing the gospel is way too important for dysfunctional leadership in the body of Christ. Submission still applies to you, ladies, even if you're older and you've been married for a very long time. The habits of not allowing your husband to lead will be much harder for you to break. And you'll probably see him as a very le- we- uh, uh, leader, probably one that's not worthy of being followed at this point. If this is you, and you know you've not allowed your husband to lead, I think when you get home today, you probably need to have a real awkward conversation at the kitchen table and confess that. If your husband is painfully passive, in his 60s and 70s, I think that's evidence of maybe you not allowing him to lead, but also that's evidence that He's not been the spiritual leader you've needed him to be. And I think for the both of you, you need to have a conversation. And, you know, we, the ultimate issue is being submission, uh, in submission to God in all things. And this includes our marriage. So let's, let's keep going. A submission that has the power to change. Let's read our text again. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husband. To whose husband? You know, that's important because I've heard some weird stuff. (laughs) Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without words by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Christian wives are to submit to not just believing husbands, but very importantly, this text is addressing those ones very specifically that have unbelieving husbands. Peter here, he gives you a purpose statement. Look at your text. The so that, hey, when you you look at a text and you see a a so that, that's that's, that's a purpose statement. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Even if some don't obey the word, they might be won by the conduct of their wives. What is this word? It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The assumption, women, the assumption, ladies, is that you have already shared the gospel with your husband, and he didn't come to Christ. And I love that the Bible doesn't deal with only the best scenarios ever. Peter, what he's doing here, he's dealing with the so what of life. So you've come to Christ. It's wonderful for you, but your husband's not a Christian. And now what? You are to submit to your husband. When when he sees your respectful and pure conduct. The hope is that you're so radically transformed by the Holy Spirit, your husband will see it and he'll accept Jesus too. This verse is about, we want a lot of verses to be about lifestyle evangelism. This is like one of the only ones in the Bible that I can find. But the assumption is, this is the key, you've already shared the gospel. And this is, Ladies, this is a hard ministry because you can't just turn it on like we do right now for four hours on a Sunday morning. This is a ministry that is constant and behind closed doors. And there's going to be a time, it's not an if, it's a when, when you fail to submit and when you fail to to live in the conduct that's talked about here. One of the realest ways we show we've been transformed is by open repentance. Go to them and confess. And that's hard too. But that's, that's, that's proof of real change. Living for Christ draws some away and living for Christ draws others in. Like a we've all spotlighted at night, right? Not hunting. A lot of cops in here. Not hunting. But We've seen how animals operate. Some, some are drawn to the light and some are repelled by the light. Some of your husbands will be drawn to the light and some will be repelled by the light. And Paul even gives us an answer for that in Corinthians. It's not a great answer, but it's the answer we get. And that's, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, you're well within your rights to let them leave. So, some of you have heard this conversation about being submissive and especially the, to the unbelieving husband part we're just in our hearts we're like how how can you ask that some of you are it's, it's a real struggle to submit to your husband because you can't even trust him to take out the trash you can't trust him to be where he says he's going to be and you're sitting here saying to yourself, and I'm supposed to submit to that? As a wife with a believing husband, maybe you don't have that issue. Maybe it's all peaches and rainbows. Maybe you're, you find it easy to submit to your husband, and you're even happy to submit to your husband. Paul even gives you a heart check here, or Paul, Peter. He says, wait a second. You might be submissive, But you might be using your outward adorning in the place of conduct that loves God. Because God looks at the inner person. And specifically, ladies, he's calling you to the the inner man of being gentle and having a quiet spirit. So let's let's unfold this for a few minutes. Verses three through four. A humble beauty. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. Oh, I'm just going to put a pen in it real quick because we've got so many young ladies in this room. Missionary dating will lead you into this negative scenario we've just seen. What do I mean by missionary dating? It's going into a relationship where you think, I can change him. You know he's an unbeliever, or at best he's a cultural Christian, and you're like, you know what? I got this. I can change him. You're not that impressive. You won't. And you're going to end up in a relationship where you're married and have multiple kids and you're stuck for the rest of your life with an unbelieving husband who is pushing your children towards things that you would not hold to. So, sorry, that's just a soapbox that I'll get off of. But, you know, you heard that, that, that old title, True Love Waits. True love does not missionary date. Like if they're not a believer, kick them to the curb. You can you can share the love of Christ with them, but you don't need to date them. All right. So let's look at a humble beauty. My first big question as I approach this text is: Is this text telling women it is wrong for you to have any braids in your hair? It's wrong to have a nice haircut. It's wrong to wear any jewelry. It's wrong to wear fine clothes. It's wrong to wear um, nice clothes. I'm going to say no. This is not a prohibition against any of these things listed. Paul makes a similar comment in 1 Timothy 2.9. You'll see it on the screen. Likewise, also, women should not adorn themselves... Um, I'm sorry, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or, or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who, who profess godliness with good works. It's not, a, it's not a prohibition against those things. He's saying it's the internal character that matters. God is wanting you to draw your identity in what attracts people to you based on your godliness, not on what you look like. And men deal with this too. So like if you're in here and like, well, I guess the ladies just have to fill, figure that out. No, guys, you too. <laughs> so some people would look at this and say, it's wrong for, for women to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's, I think that's ignorant. I think that, I think that's ignorant, and that's not what this is asking us to do. I don't think this is a black and white issue, because if it were, let's let's look at it literally. So you would, if you're taking this literal, you would have to say, it is always wrong for a woman to ever have a braid in her hair. You would have to say, it is always wrong for a woman to wear jewelry. Well, we're walking into sin when we're exchanging the rings at the wedding. <laughs> like, that's obviously not what it's talking about. This, this, this part about clothes, some of your texts will say fine clothing, some will say uh, uh, nice clothes. It, there's a couple different ways that people translate this. But the word is outer garment. So to take this literally, it would be wrong in all cases for women to wear outer garments. That would be going against the very modesty that Peter is appealing to. So what do we do with this? I believe what it's saying is, ladies, where your beauty should come from is not merely your clothes. You should not draw your own sense of beauty from your outward, what you look like, beauty comes from within and it's a, a powerful beauty comes from the inner person. And I just want to take a second. I would like people to be thoughtful about thinking about a theology of beauty and a theology of design. There's no part of creation that is outside of theology because it's all, theology is what do, what do we say about God? How does God look at this thing? What, what is the answer from the text? We have the image of God inside of us. Genesis: 127 tells us so. And God is expressive in beauty. Look at creation. He's expressive in beauty. Look at humanity. He is expressive in beauty. Look at all the design He has. Look at the veins of a leaf. The most common things in creation if you look closely at you're going to see beautiful design and color and 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 beauty. Design expresses things about God. Look at God's specification not just at creation but at his tabernacle and at in his temples like everybody gets to that point in Leviticus and Exodus and they're like, oh my gosh, what are we talking about? He's so particular about the color and the pattern and the design and and how it is crafted together. And the temple and the things in the tabernacle were done beautifully. And it expressed something about him. And I think in your dress... You can express things about yourself and about your personality, about what you enjoy, and I think that's okay. I think that expresses something about God. Don't let me geek out about how you decorate. Like, all these things say something about God. Now, I think modesty is a key part of all this. Modesty is a key part of everything we're talking about. But culturally, modesty is a moving target. For instance, in Genesis, Judah, Judas, he um, recognizes the cult prostitute because of her covering her head. And um, that's, that's Tamar. She, she covers her head, it says so, Uh, to draw him in for a sexual encounter. Um, And I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just, that is what it is. Uh, Then you fast forward to the New Testament, the very same situation, however, the uncovering of the head in Corinth was a sign of cult prostitution. Not that we are to move what we believe modesty is with the culture, But we are not to judge modesty by the culture, but by what is modest. And I'm gonna be blunt here. I don't think women need to necessarily wear clothes that are frumpy and make them feel disgusting. Unless you like frumpy and disgusting, I'm gonna say go for it. (laughs) But the clothing should certainly not be vulgar, right? Also, you can make a false righteousness out of anything. You can see certain denominations of Christianity where they make an outward adornment of righteousness by their modest apparel. Like, that's, that's, an, that's a false righteousness in, that, in itself, too. You can, you can make a false righteousness out of wearing, wearing frumpy clothes. The Pharisees, they made an outward adorning of their religious, uh, of their righteousness by their religious garments. You know, Jesus calls them out for, for wearing these long robes and the tassels and, and, and trying to look religious because they found their righteousness in their outward apparel. And you know what he says about them? He calls them whitewashed tombs. You look nice on the outside, but the inside's dirty and deca- de- decaying and dead. So, ladies, you can have all the the right outward modesty going on and still be dead on the inside. If don't find your righteousness in what you wear, find your righteousness in Christ. Adorn yourself. Adorn yourself in the armor of God. Adorn yourself with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Wield the shield of faith. Adorn your head with the helmet of salvation. Be armed with the sword of the Spirit. And if you worry much about adorning yourself in the armor of God, I think all these other conversations will fix themselves. We're not going to be worrying about conversations about modesty. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be added unto you. I'm not trying to make laws around laws or give allowances for people to live and dress promiscuously. What I'm trying to do is to give you principles that would give you the freedom to express yourself. Laws oppress. what Principles give freedom from oppression. And why did Jesus come? It is for, for, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're no longer bound by, by these man-made laws. So Peter in verse 4 is hoping that the most compelling thing about you isn't what you look like. Peter isn't saying anything different than the Old Testament. I like, uh, I like Proverbs thirty one thirty. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let your outward adorning be a gentle and quiet spirit. What is inside you should be what draws people to you. Because what's inside of you? The spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And that should be what draws people to you. And when we think about gentleness, like, you know, okay, you're told to have a gentle and quiet spirit. The Bible's not saying women be mousy. That's not what it's saying. And if someone's used the text to oppress you in that way, to silence you, that's not what it's talking about. When you think about gentleness, you need to think about Jesus because this is how Jesus first... This is the first thing Jesus says about himself when he teaches about who he is, okay? Look at, look at Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 on the screen. Jesus first reveals himself as gentle, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is strong enough to carry a heavy burden, but he's also gentle and kind enough for people who, who have turbulent and restless souls to come to him and find refuge that's the strength he's calling you to being gentle assumes strength if you put a lamb in the cage in a cage with a lion and you come the next day and that lamb is not destroyed you we can say that that, that lion is gentle you can put a lion cub a baby lion in a cage with a lamb, and you come back that next day, and that lamb is not destroyed. Was the lion gentle? You can't say that because it didn't possess power. The lion is just weak. Women, it's assuming power with a call to gentleness. We as men and women are called to display the gentleness of Christ so that believers and unbelievers alike can find healing and rest in a broken, messed up world. Because when they come to you and you're living that way, what they're going to find is the power of Christ living and working in you. Ladies, you have a real power to to destroy You can destroy with words. You can destroy with actions. But God is calling you to gentleness. And he sees, and what he wants you to see is that true beauty. And the world will see this beauty when you assert your power through gentleness. The next quality we find is a quiet spirit. Don't confuse a quiet spirit for a quiet person. Another translation could be a tranquil spirit. Your spirit is at peace. Your your inner person, no matter what's going on around you, how turbulent everything is around you, should be like a still pond. Because you have the Holy Spirit living and working in you. You're not to, to be turned upside down with every side glance or foul word spoken in your direction. You're not to be turbulent with every scary circumstance. That's weakness. You're being called to strength. Someone who is at peace is someone who has power. And we've all, we all know who somebody like that is, that they're steady in all situations. And when our life is flipped upside down, who do we go to? That you can draw people to yourself without a word is real power. And that's how you have the power through the Holy Spirit to give them counsel that will change their life. God calls living a life in this manner precious in his sight. And I think Peter in Proverbs 31, this is what he has in mind, and he says this, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than a jewel. That's a humble beauty. Now let's look at an example of a beauty very quickly. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, not anybody, not all men to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you and her children, if you do good and do not fear, you are her ch- children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what Peter does now is he's looking backwards in the Old Testament, and he gives us an example of what biblical beauty looks like. He's, he says, look in verse 5, that again women are just to submit to their own husbands he he does not say that they are to be a doormat of the opposite sex being a doormat is not a biblical ethic and if you've ever had someone teach you that that women are to be doormats that is a twisting of god's word that is sinful it says, for this is how the, the holy women of old lived. How did they live? All the stuff above that he just talked about. They were submissive to their own husbands. They were gentle. They were quiet in spirit. They adorned themselves with obedience to God. And look at, look at, the, the, look at your text. You're going to see a motivation here in verse 5. Why? Was it because their husbands were awesome and worthy of being submitted to? No. Verse 5, they put their hope in God. This is the most important comment about these women, is that they put their hope in God. Why was Jesus able to endure the suffering? We learned in chapter 2. Because he trusted in God who judges justly. All these thoughts are connected. Thomas Schreiner says this. This this comment is instructive for it informs us that these women did not submit to their husbands because they believed that their husbands were superior to them and, and, and intellectually or spiritually. They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God would, would reward all those who put their trust in him. It goes on to, to give us a very specific thing about Sarah. Sarah submitted to Abraham and called him Lord. Sarah, if you know her story at all, that you have to go back to Genesis. She's quite the character, and I don't know that one of the main things we would walk away defining her as is submissive. She, um, she laughed at God when God said he would give, she would give birth at an old age. She... Um, was the one who desired to Abraham to have a child with Hagar, her servant. She's also the one that got mad when Hagar conceived and was very ugly to Hagar and Hagar's child. But what's awesome about Sarah is God because she is not remembered by her failures, which were many. Instead, she is remembered by her faith. If you're here today, I want you to hear that truth. You are not going to be remembered by God based on your failures if you believe in Jesus Christ, who is atoned for your sin. Rather, you will be remembered by God for your faith in Jesus. Sarah did not follow, uh, I'm sorry, Sarah did follow Abram from Ur. She did submit She followed all throughout their sojourn, and all the while she was, I believe, hoping to see the promise of God fulfilled. Abraham, the man of faith, like we make him a rock star, but really he was not a man worthy to be followed. Abraham failed miserably many times in leading Sarah. Multiple times he told other men that she was his sister and allowed them to take her into their homes, and God just stopped. Anything from anything sketchy from happening. Like one time is bad, it happened a couple times. Abram, he grew in his leadership. And I believe in a very real sense because he had a wife who allowed him to lead and supported him in leading. So, what in the world does it mean that she called him Lord? Well, look at this just real quickly. It comes from context is king, by the way, because if not, you're going to make this say something super weird. Like, ladies, don't go home and call your husband Lord. <laughs> that's weird. I mean, if that's your thing, whatever, but that's not what this is asking you to do. <laughs> Genesis eighteen twelve tells the story of God meeting with Abraham in a tent, and he tells them, like, Abraham at this point is very, very old. And he says, you're going to have a son next year at this time. Sarah, again, was over, she was like, had her ear up to the door and overheard what was said. And in the silence of her heart, where no one could hear, the Bible records this, she says, um, she laughed to herself, and she says this in her heart. After I'm worn out, talking about having a kid, because she's, she's very old at this point, point. and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She had the opportunity to mock Abraham for being old and not being able to, to sire a child. Instead, in her heart, with no one listening, she showed him respect. I think that's what this is talking about. This is not an appeal for you to call your husband Lord, but to respect him even in your heart. And ladies, you will never follow your husband anywhere if you constantly tell yourself the narrative of how and where he's done wrong. Not saying ignore it, but you can't live on that loop because you will never trust him enough to follow him. And finally, it says this, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And I think, I think this is drawn directly from what we talked about already a couple of times. Why was Jesus to live, able to suffer the way he suffered and live the way he lived? Because he trusted in God who judges justly. Things in this life are frightening, but when we trust in the one who will preserve our soul from hell, we can have confidence to walk in the way that he calls us to. The call to follow Christ is to walk in his example. In his example is to walk in gentleness and quietness of spirit, submitting to lesser institutions in this world. And when we do that, we are proving that we are submitting to the Father. And when you live this way, you're going to find a powerful beauty. Let's bow our heads together.